Welcome to The Green Rush, a podcast about the intersection of cannabis, the capital markets, and culture. On a weekly basis, hosts Anne Donahoe and Lou Goldberg of KCSA Strategic Communications speak with the business leaders, financial experts, cultural icons, legislators, and generally interesting people moving the cannabis industry forward. This week, host Anne Donahoe and guest host Nick Opich are talking with Ben Larson, CEO of Vertosa an Oakland-based cannabis and hemp infusion technology company that creates industry-leading active ingredients for infused product makers. Their patent-pending nano and micro-emulsions are designed for specific needs of each customer that creates incredibly homogeneous and stable products while maximizing bioavailability, clarity, and taste. As you probably noticed, we've been covering the cannabis-infused beverages market a lot in recent weeks. There are many reasons we're focusing on this space. It's a fast growth segment within the cannabis industry, fueled by an increasing demand for health and wellness beverages. Several companies are developing cool new drinks, such as hemp juices, CBD infused water, CBD infused tea, THC infused beer, THC wine, hemp milk, and there's even a hemp gin. This is a super interesting vertical to watch, and we're excited to learn more from one of the leaders in this sector. Currently, Vertosa delivers cannabis infusions to companies like Vita Coco, Soul Grind Coffee, House of Saka, Publicly Traded, Tinley Beverage Company, and many more. Many longtime cannabis consumers and enthusiasts have never even tried a THC-infused beverage, so the potential for growth and awareness on this topic is what grabbed our attention. So don't sit back, lean forward. Now on to our conversation with Ben Larson from Vertosa. Ben, thank you so much for joining us. Um, we're really excited to have you on the show um, as we continue to explore um, the cannabis-infused beverage market, um, you know, because it is one of the fastest-growing areas um, in the cannabis market and probably the, one of the most mysterious. So um, we spoke with one of your clients a few weeks back, um, the, the lovely ladies from the House of Saka, um, and we're excited to find out more about Vertosa. So tell us what your company does um, and what is, your, what is your background as a serial entrepreneur and how how did you come to Vertosa? Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. Really, truly a pleasure to be here. Um, and and I'm so happy that House of Saka mentioned us. As, uh, we love their product and, and working with Cynthia and and Tracy has just been, been amazing. Um, what we do at Vertosa, uh, simply put, we create the most effective active ingredients for, for infused products. Um, and our flagship products have uh, been our nano and micro emulsions, uh, specifically designed for, for stability in beverages, uh, which was a, a complicated kind of problem to solve when we first entered the market about two years ago. Um, but really just by focusing on being a great B2B partner, truly dedicating ourselves to the science, uh, we've been able to really uh, make headway on, on creating a better technology for which all these brands to build. And so House of Saka is, is one of, of many different companies that we work with, um, you know, to date, because we've been hyper-focused on solving a lot of the problems within beverage itself. Um, you know, 95% of our business is beverage. Uh, however, we are starting to kind of branch off in, into other categories, you know, be it mouth sprays, gummies, powders. Um, but we all believe and really love uh, the beverage market. 
Um, it's a it's a market that I personally have have been evaluating and, and investing in uh, for the past five years. Uh, when I first entered the cannabis industry, uh, it was I, I did so by launching Gateway, which is an incubator based here in the Bay Area, um, and really just trying to help develop that next generation of idea, company, and industry. And so been very involved in, in all different parts of the supply chain. And it just got to a, a certain point in my trajectory where, you know, I felt this drive to get back to the operating side. I saw some, some critical parts of the supply chain that really needed some help in order for all these other startups to really achieve those billion dollar valuations that they kept pitching. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, when that time came around as beverage was coming on the scene, canopy, you know, investing billions of dollars uh, uh, into it, you know, vis-a-vis uh, uh, Constellation. Um, and it was just clear that there was a lot of excitement there, but uh, a lot of opportunity, I, I should say, for, for, the, for the technology to, to make some, some, uh, some improvements. Yeah, and we definitely are going to want to explore the, the science and technology. But I want to learn a little bit more about your background and some of the lessons and experience that you're bringing into the cannabis industry, and then also what the challenges you faced, you know, as an entrepreneur and getting Vertosa uh, started up. Sure. Um, so I've been working uh, in one way or another uh, with early stage companies and ecosystems uh, for the past decade. Um, before launching Gateway, uh, I was the, uh, the director of global operations for Founder Institute, uh, which is an early stage accelerator program. Uh, and in doing so, um, just learned what it was to not only build companies and, and you know, solve problems v- via those companies, um, but also really what it was to establish ecosystems. You know, the, the whole mentality behind, behind Founder Institute was that Silicon Valley was a mindset and, and less a place. And so, interestingly enough, as my career started to develop, I, I, I began looking for my, my next adventure. And cannabis literally was, was nowhere on my radar um, until it kept putting itself in front of me. Um, I had friends at the runway incubator in San, literally? San Francisco. <laughs> literally, literally, um, yeah, it's uh, it was crazy. Um, I could probably count on two hands the number of times I had, you know, consumed cannabis before entering the space. I will put that caveat. Uh, the, the consumption <laughs> pattern has changed since. Um, um, but you know, I had I had friends that were running the the runway incubator in in San Francisco. Like, hey, we're having this pitch competition. It's all you know, cannabis companies. Would you mind coming in and, and coaching the companies and then maybe even judging them? And I was like, sh- okay, sure, that's weird. Um, and it was really interesting, you know. I I show up and it was very raw, <laughs> you know, like it's like okay, interesting pitch, uh, nothing I would ever invest in, um, you know. But here's some things that you could do to kind of like make it more attractive. Um, and and what I saw. Actually, that, that attracted me more so was was the passion um, and dedication of the founders. Like th- this was something that they truly believed in, and they were get- going against all odds to try to make it happen. It wasn't a good idea to launch a cannabis company at the time. Uh, it was very risky, and and you know you potentially risked um, you know uh, having a tarnish on on your on your career, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, so I saw that I'm like, wow, this is really 
kind of like the early days of, of Silicon Valley, of technology, where, where there was a lot of naysayers. Um, but believing so hearted, wholeheartedly um, that it would become something and that it deserved to be legal is, is what really attracted me. So it was more about the, the founders and the passion and the ecosystem. And, and, and the other part of it is what I had to lend to it. You know, I, 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 I'm not a libertarian by, by any means, but I definitely have some libertarian tendencies. And um, the desire to see cannabis become legal and less stigmatized after doing my research and understanding kind of where it stood in the landscape of consumables, um, you know, it was just, it seemed like the, the right journey for me to, to start embarking on. So, you know, I, I wasn't afraid of, of, you know, my career or anything like that. I was like, this, this is going to be, this is going to be good. I can lend myself to helping build not only the companies of the future, but uh, the ecosystem and, and turn the historically kind of siloed zero sum game mentality into this culture of mentorship and sharing and rising tide. And, and so that was kind of my transition. Um, mm-hmm. and, and like, like I noted, you know, my, my relationship with the plant and the industry really blossomed, um, after I entered. Um, and that's when I became a true advocate when I started hearing all the stories and started realizing why people were so passionate about it. And, you know, now it's just become this, this lifelong journey for me. Um, and it's truly where I, where I feel I'm, I'm, I'm meant to be. So, you know, just feel super fortunate for it having found me. So it, it wasn't some, it's something that found you. So how has it been like explaining it to your parents or your family that you're getting involved in the cannabis industry? How was that conversation? You know, it's a, it's a, it's a mixed bag. Uh, luckily most of my family, uh, grew up around in the Bay area. So they're fairly progressive. Um, and were they you know, shocked my, though? Were that they, were, were, they were shocked. <laughs> they were shocked, but you know, it's, it, it, it wasn't shocking for me to throw curveballs at my family because, you know, I, I, <laughs> I was on a, I was on the straight and narrow coming out of college. I, I went, went to Cal Poly. I got a, a civil engineering degree. I got a great job at, at, at a civil engineering firm. I became a licensed civil engineer and, and I was on that path. I did that for like six years. Um, and then I, I found that I was literally kind of like dying on the inside. I, I was just not finding my passion in, in doing engineering. I have a kind of very creative imagination. You know, I, I just love exploring new ideas. Um, and, you know, being in San Francisco, you're surrounded by startups. And, you know, maybe this sounds a little egotistical, but I saw like, you know, just everyday people going out and, and starting companies and doing cool things and, and changing people's lives, even if in the, in the smallest way. And I'm like, that is what I want to do. And so that's what I did. That's how I got into the startup scene. I, I, I quit my engineering career and I launched my first uh, tech startup um, only to fail miserably over the course of the <laughs> following year. But, you know, as they say, uh, it's a great learning experience. <laughs> yeah, we're, I mean, one of the questions we ask, we constantly ask our, you know, our entrepreneurial guests are, you know, what is a, and I'll, I'm going to ask it right now. So is there a mistake that you made? Um, it sounds like your, your first startup kind of, you know, didn't go the way you wanted it to go. But what did you learn from that? And, and how do you apply it to, um, to your role at Vertosa and making that a success? Yeah, you know, it's, um, I, 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 in short, I call it failure to launch. Um, I, I didn't 
uh, I, I noodled too much behind the scenes and, and got wrapped up in my own head and wanted everything to be perfect and just wasted a ton of time and energy when I could be out there, uh, you know, talking to customers, launching an MVP and just really getting uh, that haptic feedback you need to really build a great company. And, you know, it was after that first effort that I really kind of dove into like Steve Blank and, you know, he, he's famous for saying, you know, get, get out of the office, get out there and engage customers mm-hmm. and truly solve big problems. Um, and I, and I quickly learned that, you know, my, my, my second company, it, it was, it wasn't like a venture scalable startup. It, it was, a, it, it was hopefully going to be at some point, but, you know, we started making money right away. We, we found our first customer. We purpose built a product for them, and and that was a lot cooler. I'm like, oh, this is this is what it this is what it's about. It's about interacting. It's about solving a particular problem, evolving that for you know you move from one customer to five customers to a hundred to a thousand, and and that's how you you build rapid like rapidly build a, a new company. Um, and on that journey, uh, what I discovered I really loved. Uh, because I was working with some other great entrepreneurs for that one, um, is that I really love helping people see their ideas to fruition. I, I, I like applying my critical thinking uh, to uh, to make someone else's dream come true, right? And so getting onto the other side of the table, working with the accelerator programs and investors, um, you know, getting to coach founders and, and break down barriers for them and, and make connections, um, and I just really fell in love uh, with that process. And, and, the, and the beautiful thing about what I get to do today is, is I get to build a company, but because it's B2B and, and we work very closely with the product makers, is that I'm still helping products get to market, better products, better technology. And um, you know, it's kind of feeding both sides of my soul. What was it about, um, cause you guys had, you, you rebranded last year. Um, and so what was it about at the time the company was Nanogen when you joined it, right? What was it about Nanogen that, that you decided this is, this is where I want to enter the, the cannabis industry and, and see where it takes me? Yeah. You know, that, that, that's a, that's a great question. Um, so Nanogen preceded me, uh, vis-a-vis, uh, Harold, Dr. Harold Hahn. So uh, I met Harold uh, while I was at Gateway still, um, and he was this brilliant scientist. He still had his full-time job uh, as an emulsion scientist at, at a major pharmaceutical company. And he came to me and said, I want to enter the cannabis industry. Like, how do I do it? How can I help? How can I really create value? And I'm like, I'm so glad you asked. Like, I, I've been... <laughs> Like, Come sit there, next to me, Harold. Uh, yeah, I'm like, there's this beverage thing, and all I see <laughs> on the market is just like, oh, it's it's like cloudy, it's falling out of solution, it's bitter. I'm like, I'm like, I literally have like investors from Jose Cuervo and Constellation, like in conversations, and I swear to God, you just make something that works, and we'll be on our way. And I kid you not, it was not that long until he came back to me. I, I remember clear as day, I was actually uh, uh, guest mentoring back at another Founder Institute event in Oakland, and he shows up with a little vial. And at the end of the session, he's like, hey, can we chat? And he brings out a glass of water, he pours the vial in, and it just completely disperses and goes clear. And then I taste it, and it, was, it tasted relatively innocuous, like water. Um, 
<laughs> I was just like, wow. It, it's just like everything. I just got tunnel vision. Like everyone else in the room could have disappeared. And I was just like, Harold, I, I need to advise you on this at least, you know? Um, <laughs> and, and I'm so, going to be really high really soon, but after this, let's talk. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> well, that was the great thing. It was like in the middle of the conversation, I'm like, I'm feeling it. This is amazing. <laughs> I'm like, this oh, is so much better than, yeah, it's just, it was totally game changing in my mind. And so that's pretty much what started the relationship. That was, um, I think that was like in January of, of 2018. Um, and then, you know, I did start advising him and I advised him through the process of, you know, bringing on his first investor of incorporating the company as Nanogen Labs. Um, you know, he was a, he was a nano emulsion scientist. Of course, it'd be called nanogen. <laughs> um, and so, you know, I'm like, look, Harold, if this thing really gets some legs, you'll probably have to change the name for a variety of reasons, whether, you know, it's potential uh, trademark infringement or, or just the, uh, you know, nanogen might appeal to some crowds, but not, you know, all crowds. Um, and so, I said, just just know that. But you know, nanogen's good to start. It sounds safe. It sounds sciency. Um, let's do that. And so, incorporated the company in early August of 2018, and then by early September, I had pitched Harold on the concept of me being his CEO after having given him the advice that he uh, he probably should find a business partner just to make sure he keeps uh, the more administrative stuff on the tracks. Um, and let him focus on the well, science. Yeah, and, off his yep. desk. Yeah, let yeah. him do what, what he's good at. <laughs> yeah. So long story short, I kind of like created my own role and then pitched myself for it. <laughs> um, <laughs> although it wasn't all wasn't ever that calculated. Um, and then it just got to the point where you know it did start to take off, and we started talking to brands, uh, natural product brands. We we went to the Natural Products Expo, and when we started engaging companies like you know like Vitacoco, it was like. You know, I honestly can't ask them to put nanogen on a Vitacoco product. It just does. It doesn't sound, um, you know, synchronous or, or or supportive of their brand. Um, it's too little South San Francisco-y, you know, biomedical sounding. Uh-huh. And so we went back to the drawing board. And I, you know, true to my word, I'm like, hey, we need to change the name. This thing's got legs. <laughs> it's like this is a good problem to have. Right. And it was scary. It was scary. But once we were convinced. Um, we just came up with a strategy, executed on the strategy, and and then Vertosa uh, was birthed. And and for us, uh, Vertosa, it could both live in the realm of of natural products. It's it's you know the the nod to to green through Vert, uh, you know, was important to us. Um, but also sounds trustworthy and sciency as well. And so uh, that's kind of where the name comes from. There's a lot more meaning baked into the name, but I, I won't bore you with the, with the gory details. <laughs> well, let's, let's transition and start talking about that. The, the science and technology that really is the calling card for Vertosa. So you guys have that pen pending, uh, the nano and micro emulsion technology, which you've already brought up. Can you kind of explain that in more layman's terms? Like we have a large investor audience that, that it's always looking to learn more about, um, the space, especially when it comes to beverages. So if you could talk about like how that technology works and the, how you guys are able to do what you do. Sure, sure. Um, so I, I guess where I will start was with emulsions themselves. They're, they're a certain combination of ingredients that go through a mechanical process uh, that results in 
uh, an encapsulated oil droplet that is now supposed to be stable in water, right? Uh, it turns out that that is a complicated process. <laughs> and so, so yeah, you can, you can say, okay, this combination of ingredients going through this process, I'm going to patent that because it is novel and unique and it's, uh, can be applied to these situations. Um, the, the interesting thing about it and what we discovered is that no one size fits all when it comes to emulsions. And, you know, this, you know, as you can imagine, as someone building a startup thing, oh, this is great. I'm going to take this file. I'm going to scale it. I'm going to put it in everything. Uh, you know, it's, all of a sudden things become a lot more complicated when you actually get out there. Um, but us being small and recognizing that allowed us to pay tribute to the complexity of, of the science itself. And so instead of trying to apply this one-size-fits-all uh, philosophy, we actually said it's less about the patent. It's less about the technology. It's more about the philosophy of how we approach building a new product. And so every time we enter into a new relationship with, with a customer, we ask them, it's like, what are you trying to achieve? What are you trying to market? What's the experience you're trying to deliver to your, to your consumer? And then we build from the ground up, um, you know, what, you know, what is in that encapsulated droplet? What are the ingredients that we use to encapsulate it? You know, what manufacturing processes is this going to go through that we have to be cognizant of? Because certain emulsion systems may become unstable because of a, a manufacturing process, or certain emulsion systems are unstable because of ingredients you add. And so that is where we truly earn our keep, is that we have a deep understanding now, after working with hundreds of products, that you know, if it's a, if it's a cold brew coffee that is going to go through retort um, processing, you know, what kind of emulsion system do we need to start with? How do we need to tweak it to, to accommodate the, the anticipated experience that the, the product maker is trying to deliver to their consumer? And then, you know, all of a sudden, maybe even that same brand, maybe they want to launch a sparkling water. Maybe they want to achieve something different. It's like, oh, well, that's going to be a completely different emulsion system. And so for us, uh, that is how we truly differentiate ourselves from the litany of competitors that are able to offer a quote-unquote water-soluble um, product, right? So this makes it more custom and less like off the shelf, whereas you know people are applying the the water-soluble technology to a, to a beer, to a cider, to a wine, to a coffee, and it's kind of the same thing. And you're saying that not all of those things are created equal. Hundred percent, and and for a multitude of reasons. So there's the 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 nerdy kind of technical side, right? And I get to say that because I'm not the scientist. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so um, so there's there's the technical side where you want stability, you want to you want the mouthfeel to be right, you want the onset to be right, you know. Um, but there's the other side. Like for us, we're 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 skating where the puck is going, right? We're looking at the future of cannabis here, and and we don't want to simply put CBD into a beverage or or THC into a beverage. Like what we want to do is create experiences because the cannabis plant can do that. And through the rapid absorption, we are able to get more cannabinoids and, and more compounds, terpenes, what have you, into the bloodstream and into the receptors. And so if we start thinking about the potential to create unique experiences, that is where the customization becomes really important. And knowing how a CBG isolate interacts with a distillate when you go to encapsulate it is super important for delivering those unique experiences. And so 
truly unlocking the power of the plant for us is to, again, pay tribute to the science that is required to make these very, uh, you know, I guess, mainstream acceptable uh, products. Because if you make a shoddy product that is inconsistent, you know, cannabis is never going to go mainstream. But Mm -hmm. these products that we're creating, we're creating consistency, reliability, and trust at the end of the day. Are you getting clients coming to you? Um, you know, I would assume that the two most popular cannabinoids, um, you know, CBD and, and THC, are what people are are really looking for you to to help them infuse. Are there is there an appetite for some of the other um, cannabinoids or or even terpenes that you know people are saying I you know I want more CBN in this or you know is there an appetite yet for that or do you think it's a little early? A hundred percent. Yes, it is, it is starting to happen. I can guarantee you I have three unread emails in my inbox that are talking about minor cannabinoids alone. And it happens in different ways, right? Some people do come to us and say, oh, I hear CBN is, is, is the sleepy cannabinoid. And it's like, yeah, there's some truth to that, but let us educate you first on the cannabinoid and then talk about a con- combination of cannabinoids that might be able to deliver better what you're trying to deliver to your con- consumer, right? For us... It's, it's imperative that we we jump in into the nitty gritty gritty details about this with our customers because you know we need to create products that last and that that actually deliver on a promise if we're not going to waste a ton of cycles on on sales right mm-hmm. so there, there's a little bit of a selfish uh, driver in this um, but the other conversations that are happening that are really exciting is like it's like oh we really want to like highlight you know Delta eight. And like the experience there and, and have a very particular use for it. Or we want to take this beautiful full spectrum extraction out of Humboldt, California and, and put it into a product and build a flavor profile around it. Mm-hmm. Like that's the flexibility that we're trying to get. And that's what we're really excited about. We've done a, um, you know, a, a, a dealkalized cider uh, mixed with a, a full spectrum extraction, right? And this, this just creates a really... Uh, a really interesting product. And, and sorry about that. The whole work from home experience uh, has my toddler yelling in the background. All good. We love it. It's uh, Dogs and kids are always welcome on the podcast. Um, so the one of the questions I have, um, you know, kind of along the lines of the, the technology, and it might be a dumb question, but do you source the cannabis um, products yourself or do your clients provide that to you? Yeah, so... Primarily, we do a lot of sourcing ourselves, and, and we, we do that because we, we have the, the ability to buy in bulk, and we have people dedicated to scouring uh, California and beyond for, for the best ingredients, right? So we, we, we get to experiment with the sun-grown uh, extractors in Northern California. We, we talk to biosynthesized cannabinoid uh, creators in, in Southern California. And then on the, the hemp side of the business, you know, the, the bulk producers in Oregon, Colorado, New York, uh, and beyond, right? And so what this allows us to do is be truly agnostic to the inputs. And so being agnostic to the inputs, naturally, we're going to say, hey, uh, client, if you, if you have a source that you really like or you have your own in-house oils in mass quantity, uh, we'll, we'll just toll that for you. We'll still apply the same methodology. Uh, we'll pass it through our, our QAQC to make sure that the oil is of the quality that, that we uh, demand to ensure that it's a quality product. Um, but after it passes muster, you know, then, then we're happy to enter those relationships. I want to transition a little bit 
oh, uh, towards you know the market for for these cannabis infused beverages. You said in the past that you know, cannabis beverages are, are a real threat to the alcohol industry. Can you expand on that and discuss any kind of data that we can point our listeners to to um, find this, or is this just kind of uh, anecdotal from you? Um, I could certainly pass you data. I don't have it off the top of my head, but what what, what I will say in general terms is that uh, you know people especially younger generations are looking for more healthy products to consume and healthy lifestyles. Right. And, and I think it's broadly known that alcohol isn't the most healthy compound to be consuming, whereas cannabis is arguably healthy. Right. Um, (laughs) Sure. Sure. There's, there's, there's risk here and there, but I mean, on the whole, I I, I think people have adopted cannabis to be the the, the new way uh, to, relax or connect emotionally or get creative. Um, and the interesting things that we have seen is like where uh, legal markets have been implemented, you know, uh, alcohol uh, abuse decreasing. Um, I know personally, and I just for speaking for myself, is my alcohol consumption just dropped dramatically uh, when I started implementing cannabis in my life. And now, I mean, I, it, it wasn't on purpose that, that that reduction occurred, right? And I just hear the same stories over and over again. And so I think you can just purely use the anecdote of alcohol industry's interest in cannabis, uh, their investment uh-huh. into cannabis as the true barometer of whether they're feeling threatened or not, right? We talk to beer companies almost every day uh, that want to launch an infused product. Uh, be it a dealkalized beer or just a completely new product like a, a an infused sparkling water. Do you? Th- oh, sorry. D- uh, just a follow up to that. Are you? You know, you're saying that you're. Um, y- y- the producers are are reaching out to you, but are you seeing from the consumption side um, any any regions or states where there there seems to be a more demand for for cannabis infu- or just for infused beverages? Yeah, I, I think, you know, it, it definitely has to do with access to the technology, right? If you go to one of the newly legalized states, they're just excited to have expensive oil and flour. Um, but you come to California, Canada, you know, people have had time to, A, drive down the prices, but also, you know, be looking for something a little bit more interesting, something that doesn't have to do with smoking or vaping, right? And so in California, uh, you see a lot of brands launching, and and you are seeing the sell through, and and especially with with you know the current state of affairs here with with COVID, uh, people are looking for more discrete uh, consumption methods, and so we have seen brands that have seen you know three x growth um, in in the last three months, right? It, it's it, it's really taking hold, and and I think what people are realizing, it's 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 not a the the lack of market share is not a function of the the product or the experience. It's it's an education thing, and and once consumers try beverages, they start to realize that it is a different consumption method. It's not an edible. It's not a vape. Mm-hmm. Um, it lies somewhere in between. But that where where that between is is very distinct. You know when when you can when you can titrate your onset and, and feel it before you finish the product that's pretty game changing, right? Like you can really control the experience. Uh, a little goes a long, longer way. And so you can be a lot safer with your consumption as far as, uh, you know, over consuming. 
Well, and isn't it, uh, 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 Nick, and I'm sorry, I'm going to jump, uh, jump on your question here, but uh, you know, we were talking with, um, with Tracy at Saka and, you know, I was saying, uh, cause I, I live in California, I live in LA. So I was able to get, um, the, the house of Saka pink and, and white. Um, and I was saying it just, it's naturally, um, it, it is a different style of consumption, but it is not replacing like a wine or a beer at least for me it wasn't it was more like a end of the night like nice little like warm hug um you know and and I didn't need to be drinking wine before or whatever but it just it's not going to be necessarily that thing that replaces you know what you may love to wind down with at night like a glass of whiskey or a beer or wine or even a joint it kind of can be that one thing that complements it as well or or you know is just used in a slightly different way so it's almost like consumers are get have to be used to or open to, um, using something like this in a different way that they didn't really think possible. Yeah. You, you hit the nail on the head. It is not a replacement for alcohol. And, and I, I think, you know, I think largely we're victims of the media always needing to have a, a, a winner and a loser story, mm-hmm. right? It's, it's always has to be combative. I think these things can live in perfect unison. Right. And, mm-hmm. and the beauty, beautiful thing about it, the way I use it, uh, you know, those, those that are familiar are, are familiar with the term crossfading. Um, but I would just say, you know, I like to consume a little bit of cannabis, not enough to get so high that, you know, I am sitting quietly on a couch, but just enough to get in my system. And then when I start drinking alcohol on top, I don't need to drink as much alcohol to feel the feelings that I like to feel when I drink alcohol. Sometimes I just want the cannabis. Sometimes I just want the alcohol, but like, you know, I can always have a little bit of cannabis with alcohol. Uh, I don't always want alcohol when I have cannabis. Does that make sense? I, mm-hmm. you know, it's, yeah, um, I, I would say but, I'm very much similar to that, that way of thinking. The, the, the other thing I will add is going back to uh, the future of cannabis, right? Understanding the minor cannabinoids, understanding the terpenes and their impacts. If you are just drinking, you know, THC in a product, yeah, it's not going to replace alcohol. That doesn't mean that some cannabis experience doesn't replace alcohol. Uh, we just haven't gotten there yet. And and I'll, I'll say that very truthfully. You mentioned Canada a little bit ago. And um, one of the things that we'll link to the news on this is you guys expanded into there with a partnership with Vivo Cannabis. And so, or, and I want to get your expectations on the market, especially given uh, the restrictions that Canada currently has on branding, um, as well as mm-hmm. different federal government rules. So what are your expectations for the Canadian market and as beverages grow there? Yeah, I uh, we're super excited about the Canadian market. I you know I think that's obvious. We wouldn't go there if we weren't. Um, the I think now is a perfect time for brands to earn and own the relationship with the consumer. Right? Historically, we we relied a lot on the retailers. Like you, you would go to a dispensary, you get shown around, things would be recommended to you, you'd buy something pretty. But now a lot of people are doing their shopping with their eyes um, at home. Right. And so, yes, branding is limited, but it gives the brands a little bit of opportunity to get creative on how they get in front of their consumer so that all the consumer is doing when they're purchasing, like, how do I get this and where? And it's like, yeah, it's not going to have the beautiful can that you had hoped, um, but at least the product will be there and the experience will be there. And so I, I think the, the challenging part with, with Canada is that they have very restrictive rules on the product formulations. Like here in California, we can add other uh, bioactive ingredients to create unique experiences. Like I've seen products with CBN and, and melatonin, right? Of course, that is a sleepy product. 
but you can't necessarily do that in Canada because of the other bioactive ingredient. And so um, that in of itself adds a challenge for us because the way we think of what we're doing, we're not just going to Canada to promote Vertosa. It is to fulfill our promise to our customers that we set out to create a, a platform, right? We want people to create the same products in California that they do in Canada, that they do in Massachusetts, in Nevada, Colorado, and so on and so forth, right? And so part of us uh, expanding is to kind of continue to grow that that platform. Uh, and and the reason we chose Vivo is because, frankly, we really like their oil. And they really earned the trust of one of our key customers that we'll be launching in, in Canada with. And we have the same drivers, right? We aren't beholden to uh, Vivo's desires as a company. It, our, our, our goal is pretty much the same. They want to sell more oil. We want to create more products. And we're agnostic on both sides. You know, we can use our oil. We can use other people's oil if we need to. Um, but it allows us to work with any co-packer in Canada, any brand. And so that's what we're really excited about. Do you think those regulations over time and restrictions, you know, will eventually ease in Canada just because it's still, you know, nascent, still growing there? Or is this going to be something that's going to look long term that it's going to this is just the way that the products are going to have to be? Oh, yeah, 100 percent. I mean, it's just like any other any other region, anything else in cannabis, everything's in evolution. And so uh, we truly believe, you know, everything that we've seen about Canada is that they've had a pretty thoughtful and reasonable kind of rollout uh, to, to legalization. And so as long as someone's up there having the rational conversations, we can constantly push for change, right? And, and one example that I can imagine is, exists in some lobbying conversation right now is like, you don't want beverages or other products to be formulated to be attractive from like a taste perspective and all this, right? So it's like that, that's one of the limitations with beverages. That's why you haven't seen beverages flooding the market because you see a lot of like, it's like, oh, I'm limited to sparkling waters and maybe some other botanical, you know, herbs or something. Um, on the they other don't hand, always though, taste great. <laughs> no, they, they, they don't. And, and, <laughs> yeah. and that's true. So people are having to get really creative and spend a lot more time formulating, which is, I think, the situation that we're currently in. Um, there's other technological things going on, but I'll just leave it there. Um, but the interesting thing, if, if you talk about the what the other hand is doing, um, there's infused chocolate bars. It's like, wait, you're worried about making things taste good or it being like attractive to children, but you're allowing infused chocolate and not like flavored beverages. Like that just makes no sense at all. There's the rule about you. You can only make it um, uh, taste good if you can chew it. That's just really, really true. I just made that up. Yeah, no, they make no sense. It makes absolutely no sense. Um, so, uh, I mean, do you see, uh, where do you see the Canadian market in, in terms of um, edibles and edibles in general, um, and maybe even, even beverages, where do you see that, um, that growth in the next five years in terms of market share? Yeah, I, I think there's a the huge opportunity. It's, you know, because we're in like the sub 1% for beverages and that kind of thing, like astronomical growth. But, right, uh, but only, only up, right? Yeah, <laughs> only go only, up from here. <laughs> here's what I'll say and what, and what I do know is that the Health Canada is, is desperate for these other applications. Like they want companies to come up and create products and get them on the platforms and get them in the hands of the consumers. I know that certain products that are on the market are constantly being sold out and, and hard to get. So there is a latent demand 
for these novel products. And A, we just got to get the right technology up there building it. And I'll just plug ourselves for that. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, we also just need, it's like, it's just like time for the conversations to happen and develop. Like we just got into the realm of infused products being allowed. And so, of course, there's going to be some growing pains. Of course, there's going to be some learnings. Um, But if there's anything we know, uh, that's just something that we have to dedicate ourselves to getting involved in and helping evolve. You know, that's why we started uh, the Cannabis Beverage Association with with a bunch of other partners uh, here in California. You know, it's like those conversations need to be had. Can we talk about um, Vertosa as a, a company? Um, you guys are are private, right? So um, you're not, you know, traded on the the public exchanges. Um, you know, are you comfortable talking about how much money you've raised so far, and and maybe talk about some of the strategic plans for for your growth, both in the U.S. and abroad? Yeah, you bet. Um, so you know, company's about two years old. Uh, we have raised roughly seven million dollars to date. Um, and that has been enough for us to go confidently into the market, serve the big customers that we started talking to when we were really young um, and, you know, sustainably and confidently, like I said, uh, grow, grow our business. Right. Um, so we are venture backed, uh, but we're trying to f- strike a nice balance, especially now in the, you know, in the times of COVID and kind of uncertain economic, uh, you know, future um, of how to grow our company responsibly. Um, and sustainably, uh, while still being an exciting growth company, right? Um, I, I guess I'll go back to the the root of our company, right? We, we everyone at Vertosa very much believes in the in the plant. You can go on our website, you can click on people's por- por- profiles, and and see that everyone has a story of why they're in the cannabis industry. And we we very clearly say cannabis, even though our business is half in the, the, the regulated cannabis market, and the other half is, is kind of in the general hemp and CBD market. And, and the reason for that acknowledgement is it's the same plant. And, and for us to truly pay tribute to that, we need to be the ones that are figuring out the regulations, educating, and really pushing the narrative that you know these are the same compounds, they're coming from the same plant. The eventuality is that it is all the same industry, right? And so with that mindset, we are going global. Like we are kind of bridging uh, the borders when it comes to regulations and, and providing our products. And so we have, you know, hemp clients that are multinational. So we have products being sold in the UK and Europe. Um, we have, you know, clearly uh, efforts in, in Canada to expand our platform. But by the end of the year, I wouldn't be surprised if we were in two or three other states as well. Um, and so, until everyone in the world is literally getting infused, uh, our job is not done. And <laughs> um, like we just, you know, we just really believe like that this world would be a lot better uh, if everyone just maybe had a little bit of cannabis in their system, a little bit more love and caring and compassion, and less hatred and and just whatever the hell is going on right now <laughs> well amen yeah and you bring it up we because we, we haven't talked about it much but they, we obviously are in the, the midst of the covid pandemic um do you think that that things like can of beverages and gummies are and you know even flour for that matter are, are kind of having their moment because of covid um people are at home and using it do you, do you see it that way yeah i mean 
I, for a multitude of reasons. I, I, I talked a little bit earlier about it being a nice, uh, discreet consumption method. You know, it's nice to be able to like walk around the house and just sip on, you know, a sparkling seltzer that has a little bit of something in it. Um, you know, the, the, the other side of it is like, <laughs> we're in this period where people have extra time on their hands. Uh, they're, they're, they kind of feels like groundhog day. You wake up, you do the same shit every day. Um, why not spice it up and, and try something new? And like I said, with beverage, you just try it. And then it's like you realize like, oh, this is something new. This is something interesting. And, you know, alcohol has had the great fortune of having bars and restaurants where you can sample and do all this kind of stuff. We don't quite have that yet for for cannabis, but it's getting there. Right. Consumption lounges, if it weren't for covid are were going to be a thing. Um, And so we're really excited about that. You know, we're excited about uh, things that we've been hearing about a an infused beverage only uh, consumption lounge. Right. Mm-hmm. Changing the narrative and giving people an opportunity to be exposed to it and just see what it's about. Um, I think, you know, this is just the groundwork. And, and for us as a company, you know, we we still very much believe like these are the very early days. Like this is the warm ups to to the to the the, the real game. Right. Mm-hmm. And so we're just trying to lay the groundwork for for our vision uh, of the future of cannabis. Yeah, and and I just want to quickly also just go back. So you're talking about the growth plans and expansion. How has how's deal making conversations also been uh, during this crisis and everything? Um, how, how how have your conversations been on that front? Uh, you know, great. Uh, you know, I feel fortunate that I was kind of born out of the out of the tech industry, and so just kind of uh, when we entered this phase, we we went virtual pretty seamlessly. Um, you know, our our sales team uh, that had historically done a lot of in-person meetings and demos, you know, we, we really spun up um, our, our virtual demo process, right? We have a demo kit that we can send and we can walk people through through videos or in-person on Zoom. Um, so really didn't skip a beat there. Um, in fact, you know, I, I, I hesitate to say it, but, you know, sales have been pretty great, you know, throughout the COVID crisis for us. Um, and so, you know, excited about that. Uh, I think what it does is just it really kind of broadens our, our our perspective of where we can go, right? If everything's virtual, then geography doesn't really hinder us. And so why not have conversations about going to other countries or, or other states and, and talking to brands no matter where they are? And so it's it's provided a lot of opportunity for us to just think differently about things. Uh, ben, you've been uh, so generous with your time. So we we thank you so much and want to be mindful. So our, our last question um, is a little bit of a twist on what we usually ask. So we usually ask what the biggest untold story uh, in cannabis is. So, um, But I'm actually going to ask you, what are your thoughts on legalization? And do you think that this pandemic has helped or hurt legalization efforts? Um, you know, and then the the quick follow up to that is you're one of the founding members of the Cannabis Beverage Association. What role will your organizations like this play um, in the legalization efforts moving forward? Wow. Okay, those are great <laughs> questions. Um, <laughs> I jammed two in there, so sorry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> two disparate ones too. Um, no. Uh, okay. So your first question, I, I'm going to give you the worst answer, and it's it's both. Um, I think it is both hindered and accelerated the conversation in two different ways, right? And so from a, from a hindering standpoint, 
there's not a lot of conversations happening at the federal level beyond what's going on with COVID or, or Black Lives Matter, which is an important conversation. Um, and then also, of course, we're in an election year. So there's not a lot of uh, air lot for of the cannabis. For sure. Yeah, yeah. oxygen sucked out of the room. And so uh, <laughs> on the hemp side of the business, when it comes to progressing the, the conversation with the FDA about where CBD lives in the world, um, it's just, it's frustrating. But at the same time, for COVID to hit, and for the cannabis industry to be declared an essential business, like that is that is just yeah. groundbreaking. Like uh-huh. I, I have goosebumps, right? It's like <laughs> we, like we we fought like 2015. Still, uh, we were still under Prop 215 in California. To see it go through legalization, the rollout of Prop 64, and then to be deemed an essential business, like that is like such phenomenal strides to to occur. And you know, I think right now. Like I said, people are getting creative with how they spend their time. People are talking about it more. I have found that in the virtual experience, people are so much more willing to be vulnerable. That means more vulnerable conversations are being had. People are being more truthful, um, for better or for worse. Um, and you know, <laughs> it's I, I think it is progressing a lot of conversations so that when we are ready to restart those conversations at the at the federal level, I think there'll be a whole new head of steam. And I'm really excited to, to see what, what happens there. And to tie it into your second question, so they aren't completely disparate, um, that is why, as <laughs> thank a company... You for, thank you for doing that. <laughs> <laughs> it just happened, actually. Um, no, that's why, as a company, you know, we feel it's imperative uh, to get involved, right? And in, in, in a multitude of fashions, like our, our core values are, are, are trust leadership and community and we wouldn't be living up to our core values if we weren't taking a leading role in conversations around equity or around you know legalization um and supporting our community to make it happen right and so that's why we're getting in as as involved as as we can to really help uh push this future vision uh, of the cannabis industry amazing ben thank you so much for all the time you've spent with Ann and I today. This has been a, a great conversation um, and just really appreciate you uh, you joining us on the episode today. No, I, re- I really appreciate you guys and, and, and thank you so much for bringing me on. Uh, it's truly, truly a pleasure. Thank you. Yeah, and so we'll have uh, links to everything, but uh, where can our listeners go and, and find more information about Vertosa? Uh, Vertosa.com should have it all, at Vertosa Inc, I-N-C, on, on the socials. Uh, and that's V-E-R-T-O-S-A. Awesome. Amazing. Thank you so much, Ben. Thank you, guys. Really appreciate it. A special thanks to Ben Larson at Vertosa. You can check him out at vertosa.com, as well as make sure you're following all of the work of the Cannabis Beverage Association. And as always, thank you for listening. If you want to chat with us, you can find us on Twitter at the handle at the underscore green rush or on Instagram at the green rush underscore podcast. Drop us an email at green rush at KCSA.com. We're always looking for feedback and guest ideas. And Anne is looking for all of your emails so that she can just chat with you about whatever you want to talk about. (laughs) (laughs) And then don't forget to make sure you subscribe to the green rush in your favorite podcatcher. That's one take Shay. One take.